Thank you for listening to the Weekly Market Outlook. It is our pleasure to bring an industry-leading market analyst to provide you with the most value possible in your farm business. Please reach out anytime by emailing cbaron at agviewsolutions.com. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the AgView Pitch. Today, you have Shay Folk with Jody Lawrence. How's it going today, Jody? I'm good, Shay. How are you? Well, I can't complain uh, throughout the Midwest and really across the United States. We're actually seeing some pretty favorable mild temperatures here and uh you know pretty consistent outlook for the week ahead i'm not sure we can say that though for the markets a lot of craziness going on as we wrap up the week of the 26th and and move into the week ahead does that sound about right uh yeah you kind of ended up with the, the 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 triple threat today you had the end of the month you had first notice day uh you had option expiration as kind of you know uh, triple witching for uh in the old days is what they called some of these factors so you had a lot of stuff going on uh and the you know just uh which is becoming you know the volatility is becoming so normal anymore that you don't even look at that i don't even it, it if beans don't have a, a 30 cent range it's uh uh, it, it seems to be uh, boring, but uh, I, uh, you know, it's a lot going on today. And I think that when we get into March, we'll be in a different, uh, different scenario, hopefully. Absolutely. So <laughs> I, w- I want to take a quick step back here too. You're with uh, RCM Ag Services and, and you, you specialize kind of in risk management and crop marketing. Tell us a little bit more about yourself and, uh, and what you do. Well, I've been in the business for 30 years and uh, started out, my background really was uh, my mom came off a, a family farm uh, and a family, a, a, a family of family farms in Ohio. And so I was, and even though we uh, grew, I grew up in Memphis, Tennessee, even though we were around it and I, you know, was visiting, I was always intrigued, like, you know, all little kids, the animals and the big machines and everything else just so different than growing up in the city. And then as I got older and I kind of found my uh, potential professional path, uh, I majored in accounting. And one of my teachers was uh, just a a really good graduate assistant. And he taught an elective that I took in the commodity business. And I figured in between as uh, understood the, the nuts and bolts, profit and loss and how to how that could equate that I was able to do a lot of things. Uh, and I, and I fully embraced the madness that is, you know, where we are now that, that most people run away from the, the more volatility, the better. And, you know, the more chaos, uh, is, you know, makes me happier. Uh, and I realize I'm one of the very weird people in that, but it, uh, it, it all came together. Uh, my wife's brother, uh, farms independently. My wife didn't grow up on a farm. But he got in himself into a position like most farmers that he was great at growing it and great at being a steward of the land. But the business part of it and the marketing part of it was something that just really uh, it, 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 it scared him. Uh, you know, uh, not that he wasn't smart enough to do it uh, or anything. It just he needed somebody with a, a different set of eyes to not just say, 
hey, you know, it's always bullish that, you know, you've got 50, 75, $100 an acre made if you sell this little bit of corn or this little bit of beans or weed or whatever right now. And uh, he appreciated that. And then uh, once I, I really enjoyed helping him, uh, obviously, you know, helping a, a new family member raise me in the eyes of my father-in-law, but also he then introduced me to a couple of his buddies in the same situation. And when I started helping them, I was like, hey, I could do this. And right. then we moved, had an opportunity. I did not have, uh, I was working on my series three at the time and then uh, got my series three. We moved to Nashville and that was in 1996 and uh, started writing the newsletter that I write, uh, became involved. Uh, my biggest customer is Helena Chemical, was now Helena Agri-Service and been working with them for 20 years. And in between the daily comment that I write that goes out to about 70, or excuse me, 7,500 uh, you know, uh, farmers, uh, people in the ag industry, uh, Helena uh, makes a, a makes up a big percentage of that. So it, it it's been great because I was fortunate right at that late '90s, early 2000s. I had something that needed to be able to send out uh, in a mass way, other than owning 10 fax machines and putting them in and faxing them. So I was very fortunate that the timing of everything and the technology came together that I went from literally having seven fax machines, 20 people at a time getting it out to being able to uh, you know, send it to people's smartphones and send it to uh, rural areas that uh, I, I would have had very little contact other than being able to call them on the phone before. So very fortunate and uh, enjoy and very much enjoy what I do. Absolutely. Well, and, and some of that delivery method today looks a little different. What we're doing here with the podcast is another way to really quickly get information out and we appreciate the perspective on that. You mentioned your newsletter. I have a copy in front of me here. I, I really enjoy the newsletter. It's very concise, uh, good information day in and day out. If listeners are, are interested in being on this newsletter, how do they get involved with that? Uh, they, uh, if, if they are doing business with Helena, I encourage them to talk to their Helena rep have a little bit of an exclusive situation with them, but uh, they they should be able to find a local Helena uh, dealer or a Helena wholesale customer. And we can always, uh, you know, uh, it, it, if somebody's got a trading account and seems to be scattered in what they're putting together, uh, Helena has been very, uh, been very flexible because obviously somebody that comes to me that's not a Helena customer becomes a prospect for them. So we, we can do uh, it, anybody that would like to get it and, uh, you know, would like to talk to us at RCM Ag Services, we'd, we'd be very happy to talk to them. Absolutely. Uh, you caught my attention earlier when you talked about uh, the chaos and, and not one to uh, uh, lament on the time that I spent in the military, but it's really interesting because uh, we were drilled in our heads that controlled chaos is what you have to deal with uh, in, in difficult situations. And controlled chaos is what we're seeing in market volatility right now. And volatility is a buzzword. You know, you said it's become the new normal. The last four weeks we've uh, done podcasts or, or reached out as a market outlook here. 
uh, volatility has been at the center of that. So let's dive into some of those reasons of market volatility. Uh, you know, we saw some bean cancellations here yesterday and also uh, taking a little bit longer on uh, harvest in South America. What else do we have going on in the marketplace? And if you could expound on that for a couple minutes here. Well, it, if you just look at, let's go back to August 15th, because that really was kind of the or at least the August crop report on August 10th was where the everything, the whole landscape of the industry began to change because it's not, uh, you know, every day it seems to have been something different. But when you go back where this whole thing started, makes it easier to explain what's going on now because we are, as the U.S., uh, as the U.S. growing season ended very poorly in a lot of areas as this uh, flash drought spread over the Corn Belt and started peeling off yield uh, in late July and through August, we began to realize that the yield wasn't out there. And what China was waiting for, like they always do, like a smart, uh, like any smart consumer, you wait until there's a sale to buy something. And their sale times are always when they're doing their largest purchases or during U.S. harvest and during uh, South American harvest. And where they got caught, they painted themselves into a corner as their uh, hog industry has come exploded back online in what they're doing uh, in a more sanitary way, changing feed rations and doing things like that so that the African swine uh, fever does not come back and decimate their herd again. They're, they have made massive changes in how they feed their hogs. And that feed has got to come through higher protein sources. And those sources are going to be corn, bean meal, feed wheat, high protein feed wheat, and, uh, and things like that, that historically were a much smaller percentage of their rations because they had so many small uh, family farm hog operations that were run with no uh, cytosanitary uh, overview, which is why ASF uh, got its foothold. And when China, uh, and they had intentionally not shown much of their hand that they were going to be in the market in the way that they have been since August, once they realized that the U.S. crop was fading a little bit, they started a steady drumbeat of purchases nearly every day through from let's just call it Labor Day almost to Thanksgiving where they were buying something from the U.S. whether it's beans, corn, uh, whatever the case may be and that really started the whole thing because the way we figure it and it, these aren't exact numbers but they're you know, they show you the price significance of why we've moved so far is that the U.S. probably lost combined, uh, lost out of their yield in between, uh, in between, let's see, the drought in corn and beans, somewhere between 600 and 800 million bushels of production. So you're talking about, a, it, when you talk about ending stocks where they were, a very significant amount. Then when that happened, on top of the fact that China was going to come in and start these much larger purchases than the USDA thought they were going to do, than any private analyst, because everybody got caught flat-footed by the Chinese demand, but that's what China does. China is incredibly opaque in all of their governance and especially in their purchases, and the world lets them do it, so they do it. 
And then when they started coming in and really putting the hammer down on these sales, we realized something was wrong. They had either, either their crop had come up shorter than they were telling us or their demand for feed was exploding because of their, uh, the difference in how they're uh, refilling their uh, hog pipeline. So with that, you're talking about uh, all of the sudden the corn and bean markets had, oh, uh, a billion to 1.2 billion uh, difference in ending balance sheets in world stocks between what China was buying and what the U.S. lost. And as that momentum grew, we ran into the situation of uh, South America got off to kind of a spotty start. Uh, too wet in the north, which is, uh, has continued to be the trend because of a very strong La Nina. And now Argentina and southern Brazil have been much drier than normal. So you have had, you know, let's just call it uh, going back till the end of July in, gosh, seven months, you've had what could be considered probably somewhere between uh, about a billion and a half bushels between corn and beans pulled out of the world stocks that everybody all of the sudden had to price in, how do we ration this, what do we do? So, uh, and then you get the normal monthly stuff like this, whether it's option expiration last Friday, whether it's first notice day. And the you know, last time we saw this was for December corn and wheat uh, in late November, right after Thanksgiving. And then we had it for the January beans right before New Year's. Uh, these times are always, uh, you, you're never quite sure what you're gonna get, but when you get into a situation now where people are having a lot of trouble sourcing it, people being the Cargills and ADMs of the world onto their end users that are having trouble sourcing beans in particular. Uh, you know, you, you, you don't have any idea what could have shown up today and open interest changed dramatically yesterday in the markets, which, you know, indicates a, a transfer of ownership uh, probably into the end users hands because there, uh, there were not, uh, not a huge amount of, deliveries that didn't uh, that didn't get taken up today. So yeah, all those things combined build to the, you know, every month we seem to have a tidal wave where they all come together. And it just ha and it happened to be yesterday and today. This is Alyssa with the AgView Solutions team. Here at AgView Solutions, we work with farms and ag businesses all across the country on cost of production, business decision making, collaboration opportunities, farm and ag business structuring, and transition planning. We work with operations of all sizes to help you with the important decisions that need to be made in your business. If you have questions or would like to learn more about how we can help your farm and business, please email us at cbaron at agviewsolutions.com. And thank you for listening. So our production, Chinese production down, you know, we got caught with, with drought on our end. Um, when we look at what we're seeing here today in today's market conditions, the the price increase that we've seen over the last eight to 12 months in particular, what other time in history can we point to uh, where we've seen all of this come together, you know, especially the rebound after uh, African swine fever? Is there any time, other time in history that we can look back on and compare this to um, that might give us some indication of, of what to expect moving forward? Or are we pretty unique here? Well, it's a unique situation, but 
anybody that's been around for a long time remembers what what everybody remembers about 2012 was the U.S. drought that you know we had dust bowl you know one every uh, once every hundred years type drought but what really that was also uh you know the building and a confluence of events because the growing season before that the uh, south america had not had a very good crop and even going back to nine and ten there had been some it, not really a demand drive uh, but that was uh, when ethanol began to really start to get its foothold in to where, you know, now we're using a third of the corn crop. So you had some demand expansion going on that culminated entirely in the 2012 drought. And how this is different is the demand driver of China is falling in line with a uh, you know, and certainly not a 2012 type uh, production problem in the U.S. or in South America. But when you all of a sudden jump back out of, uh, you know, the COVID lockdown, driven miles, ethanol usage, crude oil, and you look at all the money from all of the governments uh, being in, in, you know, uh, whether it's, uh, you know, the PPP or stimulus money, whatever you want to call it across the world, you're in an enormous position that there, what generally happens is the, do, uh, the dollar weakens because we keep piling on to our U.S. debt, even though it is stabilized a little bit late this week. But you also have a lot of people with money. And when that happens, you always think inflation. And if you just look at the 10-year treasury yesterday was the largest one day loss in price and what that equates to because it's an inverse relationship gaining uh, uh, rates going up that we had uh, we hadn't seen that in four years so you've got a lot of things going on and i think what we are looking forward to now is completely different to the aftermath of 2012 because you have got more money chasing almost as few bushels as we had coming into 1213. And the good, you know, what the good stuff, the good things that happened, you know, from a production agriculture standpoint after 12 was that South America had a good growing season. The US expanded acres in 13 and 14. And we're getting to a point where the margin for error on what the world uses and what we're able to grow, it has shrunk significantly over the last 10 years. So what, you know, as the world continues to uh, expand and and use more, uh, you know, high protein that's coming out of uh, anything produced in the US, you're at you're in a position that the world demands that South America and the US have uh, at least almost trend line yield crops every year. And we know that Mother Nature is not going to allow that. I love that perspective. That's one that it's, it's such a law, uh, larger picture than what we're used to thinking about. It's not on our minds every day. So I appreciate the comments on that. Let's, uh, let's take the last few minutes here to focus on an outlook of, of next week for this, uh, beginning week to March here. You know, we saw a fair amount of volatility yesterday and, and through today as well, as we look at March 1st through 5th, uh, what are some of your thoughts there? Well, I think uh, the uh, speculative investment community tipped their hand 
at the close today because you had significant losses overnight. You had beans uh, down 20, 25 cents in old crop, and you had corn down another eight to 10 after yesterday's new contract high, kind of key reversal. So you had some speculative reverter, you had some Chinese doing some things, you had a little bit of wet weather or a wetter weather forecast in South America. But the way we rallied into the close with May beans and May corn, both now in the, in the front month position, uh, it, finishing unchanged and, and fractionally higher today, tells me that when we, get to, when we get to Monday, you have got a huge amount of on the sideline speculative money ready to buy into this inflation play the raw material inflation play. And I, I think what you saw today were people sitting around going, might as well buy it now. So it's 50 cents off where I wanted to buy it Thursday. So I might as well buy it now. And, uh, and, I, and I think largely that's what they did. And so I expect next week that we'll see if that, because uh, the noon forecast took some of that rain away from Southern Brazil and Northern Argentina. If we come in dry Sunday night, with the speculative community ready to reallocate out of Dow 31,000 and record highs and the concern that you've got, you know, uh, that we're not gonna see Dow 35,000 anytime soon. They, the speculative community and just the investment, the regular investment community sees better opportunities in the raw materials, which certainly our, our markets are included in. And you can look at crude hitting $62 uh, this week, uh, as an example of a leadership role in the, uh, raw materials sector. Absolutely. So I want to close out here and I'll give you an opportunity for final comment, but I want to close out here with something from yesterday's newsletter. You said, uh, the February revenue based insurance averages are 458 and, uh, on corn and 1185 on soybeans today, set the final averages on that. So they, they might've been adjusted slightly but they'll be the highest in seven years and put almost every producer in the rare position to ensure profitability through your crop insurance. And, and I made it a note to some people. Uh, this is my wife and I's first year financially farming and, and feel uh, obviously a little blessed and fortunate. And, and, you know, it's better to be lucky than good sometimes at, at where we're at here with these crop prices. Um, but with that being said, any considerations for uh, farmers out there that are looking at, uh, potentially very profitable 2021 and and some of the marketing considerations that they make here going through spring into planting season well you your your question is incredibly timely because the revenue and in insurance-based product uh in 13 and 14 we were in the same position that you could insure a price that should make everybody money you hate to think that somebody can't make money at 460 corn but we know that there aren't, but a huge majority of the farmers are going to be making money at 460 corn and, you know, uh, near, you know, 1150 plus beans. But uh, what I've been doing this week is calling the customers that I work with more in a uh, hands-on, uh, you know, balance sheets. Let's, let, let's talk about numbers. Give me input costs and give me those things is I didn't find anybody, and I talked to people in South Dakota, I talked to people in Illinois, I talked to people in Texas, talked to people all over the country. Everybody, I, everybody's balance sheet and everybody's profit per acre that I went through 
was in a position that they were a, a, a crop insurance, not, a, not even including that calculation, but they were at a minimum of pure profit per acre at $75. And then obviously the uh, more, uh, the people in a better financial position, their margin was even higher. So, uh, and I made a, a, especially a young farmer like you, where uh, you clearly want to be farming in 22 and 23 and 30 and 35 and, and keep 43 going. And 45, but yep. you also have to look at 22 uh, at all the uh, new crop 22 prices because there are a variety of products and we've got we've got a few that we are doing with uh, Stone X, which is uh, the old FC Stone that allows some things where you can go all the way out to 22 for what would amount to a hedge to arrive fee and be able to book it in and say, I, you can go to your bank right now and guarantee that you're gonna be making money this year and in 22. Cause I know a lot of people are trying to get their uh, taxes done at the end of February to get their operating lines and everything. But you could go in with a plan and with sales tickets and say, whether I hedged it on the board or whether I've already done some HTAs, I'm gonna make money. There, you know, unless I, and, and since I've got insurance, even if there's a 2012 catastrophic type situation, I've got that covered. So all I'm going to do is I'm going to sleep well at night and I'm going to enjoy farming for the first time in five years. <laughs> no, I appreciate that. That's uh, it's very interesting. I, I say a lot, what a time to be alive, you know, I uh, appreciate the insight and perspective. Anything else here, Jody? No, Shay, I really appreciate uh, being invited in. Look forward to doing uh, many more of these since this is our inaugural uh, kickoff podcast, but uh, uh, wish everybody well and hope uh, everybody made it through the snow and the cold. And when you turn it to March, it seems like uh, the winter meeting season is over and March 15th, everybody starts itching to get out in the field at, at least drive something around, whether they're planting something or not, they want to clean up and start getting the planters ca uh, calibrated. So uh, I, I'm, I'm looking forward to another good spring and, and you know, being able to go into it uh, uh, with this kind of optimism that you still have a lot of support potentially for the next, you know, 12 to 24 months in the markets. Uh, it, it is, it's really a good time to be in agriculture. Thanks a lot, Jody, I appreciate it. Okay, Shay, thank you. Everybody have a good weekend. And as always, thank you everyone for listening to another episode of the Ag View Pitch, and we will catch you next time. <laughs>